Is God good to you? Well, I'm, good. He's, I'm glad he's good for five of you, so good job. I appreciate that. Um, thank you so much for being here. If I haven't met you yet, my name is uh, Adam Harold, and my incredible wife, Tanya, and I have the privilege of leading this amazing community that we call The Refuge. It is uh, it's one of our greatest joys in life that we get to, to serve Jesus with you, and um, I love what he's doing. As a result of what he's doing, I do have one more announcement that I want to add that we didn't announce quite yet, but I know we've, I love it when God moves to the point where people are asking, when's our next baptism service? Like that's, that's how you know God's moving, right? If somebody's asking, when can, when can I get into the baptism tank? You know, that's a, that's a good question. And uh, I want to just announce that April 30th will be our next baptism service. It's the week after Mark will be here. And uh, it's, it is going to be incredible. So if you've never identified with Jesus in baptism, and I say it that way because I'll say it like that for the rest of my life. When we get baptized, we do it to identify with what Jesus did on the cross. And, you know, so we, we, we will say buried in the likeness of his death. Just like Jesus died, we die to ourselves. We die to our flesh. And we are buried in water because we're not going to put you in dirt, right? Come on. Are you guys with me this morning? Like, that's my first joke, and no one laughed. So I will not tell a joke for the rest of the, ser- the, rest of the sermon today. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, so buried in the likeness of his death with water, right? And then raised to life just like Jesus was out of the tomb to walk in new identity of him. We are baptized to identify with Jesus. And so if you've never been water baptized, then we invite you to join us April 30th to sign up for that. Uh, on your way out, we make it super easy. Um, just walk on out. <laughs> Sorry, super easy for 30 and under, because if you walk out, you can scan a QR code with your phone, and you can sign up there. If you're over 30, just go to refugemain.church slash baptism, and you can sign up there. So uh, you can, uh, we just want to make it as easy as possible. Uh, you can come and see me afterwards and say, hey, I want to I be baptized. But um, it's, it's, man, it's just a result of what God is doing, and we, we absolutely love it. Because Jesus said, I will build my church, and uh, he's doing it, and it is so much fun. It's so much fun to be used by him. Um, we're in week three of a series that we're calling Shameless Investments, Shameless Investments, and I just kind of want to do a brief overview to begin before I get to our big idea and get to our message for today. Um, it's, this is a series about stewardship. It's not about giving money. It's not about giving. It's about stewardship, which means to manage your resources well. As people, we all want to manage our resources well because we want to have resources to pass on to our kids. We want to have resources to pass on to other generations. And so if we're going to do that, we have to manage our resources well, but Our resources are so much more than just money. 
our resources is our time. We have, we have to manage our time well. We have, to, we have to manage our time well so that we can give our time to our kids and to our friends and to the things that we enjoy. So stewarding your resources well, that's what this whole series is about. In, in week one, we, I, we, we defined what shameless investments are. And so we did that with, with a couple different scriptures. The first one that we looked at was 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. We're going to read that this morning because I haven't read it since week one, and I feel like it's a foundational piece to stewardship. Then another verse that we looked at was Luke chapter 10, which is the story of the Good Samaritan, uh, verses 29 through 37. And we're going to uh, look at just a few verses in that this morning. And then the, ver- the, the scripture that we looked at in week one that we're not going to look at today is Matthew chapter six. And it talks about Matthew chapter six. Jesus is talking and he's talking about how if God, if our father, which can I just say real quick that God, the father gets a bad rap a lot of times because we look at God, the father as the God of the Old Testament, because then Jesus came in the New Testament. And we and, and, and Christians, I, I don't necessarily think that non-Christians, but I think Christians have a, an easy um, it's easier for them to identify with Jesus than it is God, the father. Listen, the whole reason Jesus came was to reunite you with God, the father. And I love it when I'm with people. And this is why I love Sunday mornings. Because every Sunday, I come up here with my brothers and sisters, and our dad walks in the room. I love to be in the presence of my father. Because he loves me. He created me. He knows everything about me, and he still says, you're my son who I love, and I want to be with you. I hope, I mean, there should be somebody shouting this morning. Our father, our dad wants to be with us. And so we have to manage our, as as people that are following Jesus. And listen, I know that there are people from all different walks of life. Some of you may have never set foot in church before. Some of you may have been in church for 40 years. You, you come from all different walks and all different phases, and that's completely okay. I believe the gospel at whatever stage can be spoken and can, and can speak to you exactly where you are. That's how powerful it is. So if you've never stepped foot in a church before, we welcome you. If you have stepped foot in a church a lot, (laughs) you grew up with a drug problem, you got drugged to church every Sunday, right? (laughs) Come on. All right, all right, we'll laugh, we'll laugh now. I stole that from somebody else because I'm not that funny. Don't have, don't have expectations from here on. Um, we all come from different walks. And the truth is the gospel is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It meets us where we are. 
That's who God is. And so week one, we talked about defining shameless investments. Week two, we talked about addressing immediate needs, the immediate need. I talked about four needs that every person has. The, the, um, the physical need, the financial need. Uh, there was one more that I'm missing, and then the spiritual need, the emotional need. That's the one. We, I'm avoiding emotion this morning. The emotional needs, the physical needs, the financial needs, and the most important primary need that we all have is the spiritual need. This morning, we're going to talk more about the short-term need that we all have, and, it, and it's, the, it's identifying the, the primary need that we all have. But before we do, I want, to, I want to revisit 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Before we do that, I want to ask my dad to speak to me. God, your word is alive. Your word is active. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces my soul and my spirit, and it shows me who you want me to be. So, Father, today I give you permission to speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would use my words to clarify your word in a way that is true. Father, that my words would be yours and that you would speak through me today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says this, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. And then you will always have everything that you need, plenty left over, to share with others. My prayer this morning was that we would come into the house of God full, that believers would come into the house full from the week because we've spent, can I, can I just tell you, this is God's plan for us, that we would come into God's house full not empty, that we would come experiencing the abundant life that Jesus said that he would give us by reading his word, by praying and talking to the Father every day, by filling up every single day so that we can come into the house full enough to share with others. Because there are some in the house this morning that are empty, that feel empty, and they need to experience the abundance of what God has done in your life today what God has done in your life this week. So my prayer every week is that we'll come into the house full so that we can have enough to share with those that are empty. And so that's, what, that's part of what, what Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians, that you would have enough, that you would give enough so that you can have plenty left over to share with other people. That's, that's God's plan for shameless investments, but the reason they're shameless is because he says, don't do it reluctantly, but do it with cheer in your hearts. I hope that you come into this place and you want to give not reluctantly, not out of pressure, 
but because you know it's the best thing for you because it's what God says is the best thing for you. I've got three quick things about shameless investments to start, start off right off the bat that I get from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The first one is they're decided in your heart. They're decided in your heart. So after COVID, we stopped passing a plate at the refuge. I believe that that was, that was, um, that God allowed that to happen for multiple reasons. The main reason has nothing to do with your germs. It has everything to do with deciding in your heart how much to, to give before you get into the house. God's, God's word teaches us that when we give out of, our, out of our identity, out of who we are in Jesus, it's not a spontaneous, what do I have in my pocket this morning? It's decided in your heart before you come into the house. It's decided. Number one, shameless investments are decided. They're a decision that you make. Number two is they're not given reluctantly. Number three, they're not given out of pressure. I hope that I never come across as a preacher that pressures you into giving, serving with your time, your talents, or your treasure. I hope that I come across as this is what God wants for you. And that I'm able to, to show you in his word, <laughs> don't just take my word for it, but I can show you in God's word that it's, what's best for all of us. I really, I really hope that, that that's the case. This is about managing your pocketbooks and your clocks in a manner that matches your identity in Jesus. When you come to know Jesus, and some of you have just recently done this, and for that, I say, I'm so proud of you. God is so proud of you. There's been a party in heaven for you because you've recently given your heart to Jesus to the point that you identify in him. But now there's a process that takes place, and that process is getting rid of our flesh, getting rid of our old self, and becoming new, a new creation, just like 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about. And so this whole thing is about getting rid of our old self, getting rid of our selfishness, and living the way Jesus did. You know how Jesus lived? He gave. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 20 says, don't store up. And this is what Jesus gave too. I want, don't, don't, miss, don't miss the mark in, in just giving. What do you give to? Matthew 6, Jesus tells us what he gave to. Verse 19, don't store up your treasures on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures, where? In heaven. Where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in to steal. Your investment should be in heaven. And I believe, and, and I've, I've preached this and I haven't preached it for a little while. But when you read God's word, in, in, the, in the New Testament especially, 
you, it's so easy to see that there's three different layers. Number one is our identity in Jesus. It always points, when I read scripture, I always ask the question, where do I see God's character? Because I have to see my identity. I have to see, in other, let me say it like this. I have to see who I am supposed to be, who God created me to be. The Christian life is all about God making us who he meant for us to be all along. And guess what? I believe that I can experience that on this rotten earth. I can experience that in this fallen world. I can be like Jesus, but I have to know who Jesus is. So I have to discover my identity in him every single time I read God's word. First, it's identity. Then it's instruction, which is the commands of Christ. So the instructions help me live, like help me see Jesus, but I don't find my identity in the instructions. My identity is in God's grace, not the law. It's not in, 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 in the commands that he tells me to do. It's in who Jesus is. So identity, instructions, and then I read about my inheritance. This morning, what we're talking about is building an inheritance, and it's not with money. I'm not going to talk about money for the rest of the sermon. And you guys, and all God's people said, "Amen." <laughs> I'm going to talk about what it looks like to build an inheritance. In God's kingdom. Because that's the most important inheritance that we build. So that when we get to heaven someday, where moths can't touch our resources, where thieves can't break in and steal our resources, when we get to heaven, we see a long line of people that are there because we told them about Jesus. That's what an inheritance is. And so this week, I want to uh, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. We're going to read verses 34 through 35. Last week, we talked about immediate needs. The, the immediate need and the, sh- the short-term need and the long-term need is what the Good Samaritan addresses in the story of in uh, Luke 10. So Jesus tells this parable about this guy that is beaten by bandits on the side of the road. Just real quick. Any time, I, okay, I got distracted. Last week in church, someone on our team sent me a picture of the, the what were they called? In Home Alone, the, the wet bandits. And they're like, she's like, every time you say bandits, I think of the wet bandits. So now you're going to think of the wet bandits every time I talk about the guys. Just think of Harry and Marv every time I talk about the bandits that beat the guy on the side of the road. All right. Um, anyway, sorry. Distra- that was my ADD kicked in for just a second. Luke chapter 10, 34 and 35 talks about how the good Samaritan sees this man on the side of the road and he addresses the need that he has. 
three needs, immediate, short-term, long-term. Let's read it. Verse 34 says, Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. That phrase is the short-term need that we're addressing this morning. Verse 35, the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. That's the long-term need that we're going to talk about next Sunday. Short-term, so immediate, short-term, long-term. Short-term needs, you ready for this? Only last a little while. They're only temporary. A short-term need is only temporary. I picture the Good Samaritan in our story addressing the short-term need of this man on the side of the road. You know how he did it? He picked the man up after he addresses his wounds. He picks the man up and he places him on his own donkey. This was a donkey, not a horse. It wasn't like there was enough room for two people to ride. He places him on his donkey and then he walks with him. To get him to the inn where he sits with him. And you know how long he sat with him? Until he knew he was fine enough to leave alone. It doesn't say how long. It, it, Jesus never said that he sat with him for a couple days to address his short-term need. He sat with him long enough that he knew, I can go to the innkeeper and I can leave him a little bit of money and we can address his long-term need then. But until then, I have to be with him. I have to be there. I have to walk with him. I have to be with him. And all that leads me to today's big idea. The one thing that I want to communicate to you today is this. Addressing short-term needs requires a level of intentional intimacy that immediate needs do not. I'll say it again. Addressing short-term needs requires a level of intentional intimacy that immediate needs do not. Short-term needs take a little more time than the immediate. They take a little more love than the immediate. They take some more intimacy, being with the person, knowing the person, walking with the person, understanding the person's story. Addressing short-term needs is so much more about stewarding relationships than it is about stewarding our money, stewarding other resources. Relationships are a valuable resource that we often overlook. And that's why a lot of relationships fail. Because we look at them as resources that get us something, that get us something that we need, that address something in our lives, 
But intentional intimacy addresses the needs of the other person. It puts their needs before ours. One-on-one, shoulder-to-shoulder, together is always better. Doing life together, that's intentional intimacy. That's what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time. Caring for the deepest primary need that every person has. Our spiritual need being the primary need that we all have is only temporary. It's only temporary because there is coming a day when our spiritual need will be met by the literal physical presence of Jesus. And someday that spiritual need will disappear. It's only temporary. But the saddest, most horrifying thing about the spiritual needs only being temporary is that for some, and it breaks my heart, but some will die never having that spiritual need met. And if you die, never having your spiritual need met, that spiritual need becomes permanent. That truth this week wrecked me. Because I have friends that are in this room that have never given their heart to Jesus. And I know if they never give their heart to Jesus, their spiritual need will be permanent. And I hate that. But my God is a just God. And because he's just, because he's righteous, he's perfect. And anytime there's imperfection in someone's life, without Jesus, the only way we can be perfect is if we claim the perfect one. We identify with Christ. He's our perfect one. And until we identify with him, our spiritual need isn't met. If we're going to address the spiritual need that everyone has, we have to do it with intentional intimacy. Intentional conversation about who Jesus is. Intentional conversation about his word. Sitting down across from each other, opening God's word and reading it, regardless of if they've known Jesus or not, if they've received Jesus or not. Looking for God's character. Showing them who Jesus is. I think of Jesus' story. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus goes and gets baptized by, by John. After he's baptized, God speaks over him. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He speaks identity over him right in that moment. And then Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan for, 30, uh, yeah, for 40 days. I got it. I went to Bible college. It was 40 days. And um, 
immediately following the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. This is what he does. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they finished uh, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Verse 20, and they left their nets and followed him at once and followed him. Immediately after Jesus is in the, in the wilderness, tempted by Satan, he goes and he says to disciples, hey, come and follow me, and I'm going to show you with intentional intimacy, how to fish for people. And they left everything and they go and they follow Jesus. And the rest of the story is about Jesus pouring into them, teaching them about the Father in heaven. But Jesus doesn't just meet their spiritual need along the way. At the end, (laughs) Jesus' last words to them Read them with me in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. He doesn't just show them with intentional intimacy who they are in Jesus, but in verse 20 and chapter 28, verse 16 through 20, it says, Then the eleven disciples left Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all all the commands that I have given you. All, All the things that I've taught you with intentional intimacy, now go and do it for other people. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. These are the last words that Jesus gave the, the disciples. The last, one, the last words were, I've poured into you, now go pour into other people. But what did they say? What, what, does, what does Matthew say at the beginning of the story? I, I often overlooked it. In fact, this last week in my Bible study, um, Tuesday nights at... Um, at six o'clock at the church, I do a small group about what, small group Bible study um, for for small group. It's it's an open group. You're welcome to go and, and sign up. Um, that's my quick plug. But in this this last week we were we were in our Bible study and and I read Matthew twenty eight eighteen through twenty and. At the, end of, at the end of reading it, I asked everyone, I go, so what did you see? And, and I, I asked, so what did you see in the scripture? And, and people said different things. And, and one of the guys raised his hand and he goes, I saw that some of them doubted. And every single person that would tell me they'd, some, they'd see something, I'd ask this question, this follow-up question. And it's one of my favorites. It was, okay, where did you see it? Because when he said some of them doubted, I was like, we didn't read that. Where, 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 where did you see it? And he goes, verse 17. I was like, oh, we we read verse 18 through 20. He goes, okay, but verse 17 says, like he did it in a a great way. Um, It was was amazing. But here's what I love about reading God's word with other people is I had to see that. 
I hadn't seen it before. I, in fact, I studied in Bible college the Great Commission, but we never talked about the disciples' doubt. And God used Keith to show me that it was in the midst of their doubt that Jesus said to him, I've been given the authority to tell you that you can go and you can preach and you can tell other people about who Jesus is and you can make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you can do what I've done to you all along. And I believe in you to do it. You may have doubts in me, but I have belief in you. Belief in you. To be intentionally intimate with your conversations about who Jesus is. So that people will respond to the gospel. If we really believe that Jesus is the only way to get to God, then why aren't we screaming it from the mountaintops? We must go and tell. We must tell people we love that Jesus is the only way to get to God. And that's good news. Because if there were a lot of other ways, then we'd have to figure out which one's going to actually get us there. But there's one way. His name is Jesus. And so for the remaining part of our time, I've got 10 minutes left. I want to give you three quick things about intentional intimacy to hopefully clear, clear it up and tell you why we do it. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. Right? My pastor always says, note takers are history makers. And so we want to make history. We want to change the world. Number one, the first one is intentional intimacy fulfills the Great Commission. In other words, intentional intimacy fulfills the words that we just read that Jesus told his disciples to go and do. To go and tell all the world about Jesus. To share the gospel. What's amazing is that some, some of the disciples doubted. <laughs> and you know what that means? That there's probably some of you in the room right now that are, that, are, that are doubting. Pastor Adam, I could never do that. I could never go and tell my, my friends about Jesus. I'll get fired. That's my favorite one, by the way, because you won't. Because that's not legal. you have the ability to go and tell others about Jesus. We have to do it because it fulfills the Great Commission. Remove the doubt because Jesus says, I've been given the authority. Isn't it funny that we think that we'll get fired, but Jesus is like, no, I've been given the authority. Just trust me. Just trust me. I'll take care of you. Intentional intimacy helps us remove the doubts through conversation that makes disciples, that baptizes them, and teaches them who they are in Jesus. It removes the doubts. But you can't, you can't remove the doubt without the conversation. When you, once you start having the conversation, you go, oh, this is easier than I thought it was. 
Oh, you ready for this? Oh, I actually knew more about this than I thought I did. Oh, maybe God has been speaking to me. And it removes the doubt. Jesus looked at, his, at, at the 11 and he said, I believe in you so much. I want you to go and do what I've shown you to do. This, for the last three years, I've shown you how to do this. Now go and do it also. Number one, is it no, intentional intimacy fulfills the Great Commission? Number two, intentional intimacy transforms, I'm sorry, transfers more than information. Intentional intimacy transfers DNA. Intentional intimacy transfers DNA. Here's what I mean by that. Is when I sit down and I have a conversation with God's word with someone else, I'm asking them, where is God's character? In other words, where do you see who you're supposed to be? Where do you see who you are? Where, where do you see our father? Where do you see our dad? And then it allows us to allow that DNA to come inside. To, it invites us to have that DNA come inside and transform who we are. One of the scariest things about the gospel is that the gospel cause, allows me to come fully alive, but in order to come fully alive, I have to die. In other words, I have to die to my flesh. I have, to, I, have to get, I have to get rid of my feelings. I have to get rid of, of the things that I think are the right way. And I have to die to them so that I can experience the Spirit leading me and guiding me and showing me what God's Word says. That's DNA. That's not information. And that's why a lot, some of you, I'm, I'm just going to be honest. That's why some of you, you look like this. Because you, you don't get it. it. That's okay. It's a process. It's allowing Jesus to come inside of us and to live through us. Jesus living through us is DNA. It's not just information. It's transformation. And when I have conversations with other people that point them to Jesus, I am teaching them who they are in Jesus, that they're chosen, that they're redeemed, that they're forgiven, that they're full of grace because God has been full of grace for them, that they are made completely new, they're forgiven, that the old has passed away and everything is new. Everything has changed because of Jesus. But it requires intent. If I go to a lunch with somebody or a, or a coffee with somebody and I say, I'm going to share the gospel with someone. Do you know how hard it is to actually share the gospel with them? Listen, just because I'm a preacher on Sunday doesn't make it easy at Starbucks. It can still be difficult. Because I've got like... Uh, I'll talk about the basketball game last night, the baseball, baseball getting ready to get started, the Masters is coming up. I'll talk about sports all day. But when it's time to talk about Jesus, it can be difficult. 
And that's why it has to be done with intent, intention, sharing who Jesus is. And listen, that's also why the DNA matters. Because as I allow the DNA to transform who I am, then the gospel conversation happens naturally. Because all of a sudden it's who I am. And it's what I do. And, it's, and it just comes out and I can't stop it. Number three, the last one. So just quick review. Intentional intimacy required, um, sorry, fulfills the Great Commission. Number two, it transforms DNA. It transfers DNA, not information. That was a poor review, by the way. <laughs> Very poor review. Just don't give us a poor review later. All right. Number three, intentional intimacy leads to multiplication. It leads us to multiply. Not, not to multiply our church, to multiply our inheritance in heaven, to build God's kingdom. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Stop inviting your friends to church and start inviting them into a relationship with the Jesus that loved them so much that he died for them so that they can go to heaven someday. I promise you, if you invite them to church, I'll do my best to invite them to a relationship with Jesus. But trust me, as their family, as their friend, you can do a heck of a lot better than I can because you have, you have relational equity with them. I don't. I don't have the equity that you have in them. I don't spend time with them every single day like you do. You do. And it doesn't matter how close we are. You have relational equity with them enough to share with them, to meet them in their most primary need that they have. Do you want your friends to come to know Jesus? If you do, it has to be intentional. It doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't. Talk about it. Some of you are here in this room. I'm looking out and I'm seeing some faces. And I'm like, they're here because we had a conversation. They've responded because we had a conversation. The fact of the matter is every single person in this room is here because someone had a conversation with you about who Jesus is. So think about the person that you know that doesn't know Jesus. They might be a hard person to reach. They required a little more time, a little more love, a little more intent. Be intentional with your conversations this week. Pray about them, then go, then tell. Stand on your feet, I wanna pray with you. Every head bowed. I told our team this morning in our huddle, I said, I'm gonna challenge you today. God's word's gonna challenge you today. This isn't, this isn't an easy one. I said it last week, I'll say it again. I don't feel like God wants us 
to always preach to the people that need Jesus the most. I think he wants us to preach to the people that just need Jesus, period. That's 100% of the room. We all need Jesus. And so we come to this moment every week where I, I still want to invite you into a relationship with, with the one that'll change your life. Maybe you're, you're here and, and, and you have a whole lot of need, but you never realize that the most important need that you have is spiritual. We want to help you address that spiritual need this morning. My friend Kim and Dave and Nancy are up here to pray with you. If you have needs, come. Take them to the Father that can care for them so much better than we can. But if you need Jesus in your life, I want to invite you to invite him into a relationship with you. It's not, it's not a sinner's prayer that, that changes us. It's the relationship, the walking alongside of you. Because the fact is, is that the spiritual need that we all have is temporary. Time is running out, ladies and gentlemen. And if you have relationship with Jesus, you go to heaven having that spiritual need met. But if you die with still having that spiritual need without it, it's permanent. Never able to be met again. Can we change that this morning? If you want to change that this morning, would you do me a favor? Would you invite Jesus into relationship with you? Would you just say this prayer right where you stand and just tell him, just tell him that, that I need a relationship with you. And then it, it, it doesn't stop there. It's a journey, which is why we wanna, we wanna know about, about you saying this prayer. Mark it on a card is the easiest way. I'll send you a card in the mail to say, congratulations, we are with you. We wanna walk with you. Would you invite Jesus into relationship to you, with you today? God, say, God, I know I need you. I know I've done wrong. I know my sin separated me from you, from my father. I know Jesus died and came back to life so that I can repent of my sin. I can turn from it. I can change with a relationship with you. Come into my life, transform me. Give me a new identity in Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song together and then we'll be dismissed. I hope you're glad you came to church today. Are you glad you came to church today? Come on.